Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Good morning, C4 Church. Hey, it is so good to be here, and greetings from Conexus Church up in Barrie and Aurelia, and we love what God is doing here. I want to start this series or this sermon on prayer with something very, very different, and I want to start it um, with just a question that you might not expect when it comes to prayer. And so the question is simply this, how many of you have ever been in love? Hands up. All right, good. How many of you are in love right now? would you say? (laughs) And if you're married, you should definitely have your hand up, okay? Definitely keep your hand up because otherwise you're in big trouble and and we'll have to get you some help. Uh, I definitely have been in love. I am in love. And you know the emotions that go with love if you've ever really felt in love. Isn't that true? You know, how do you know you're in love? I remember when I met my wife, the first time I saw her, I was 23 years old. So before I was a pastor, I was actually a lawyer, so I had my heart removed a long time ago, okay, if you're wondering um, how I love, but I was a lawyer, and I went to law school, and um, what you do, people say, what was law school like? You know, for the first week of law school, you just line up a lot. We were in line, we, we were at law school in Toronto, and we were just in line, and I was in line one day, I don't know, to get textbooks or to register from some, some class or something, and I remember I saw her, you know that first time your eyes lay you, you lay your eyes on her, saw her for the very first time. And it was almost like there was a light from heaven on her. If you've had that experience, and I felt the angels, it was kind of like, ah, you know, and I just looked at her and I was smitten. I was absolutely like, who is that woman? What do I need to do to, to, to get introduced to her? Like I was head over heels in love at first sight, Now, interestingly enough, she did not notice me. Um, In fact, the first clue she had that I even existed was in class about a week later. And you know when you really can't take your eyes off someone, you just, I, I guess I wasn't paying attention. I was just staring at her, and one of her friends leaned over to her and said, check out that guy over there. I think he likes you. Like, it was a stalker, creepy, like, kind of affection that I had for her. And I would go on to meet her, but, you know, I, I fell head over heels with her, and 27 years later, we just celebrated 27 years of marriage, I, I am so excited about that. I'm still in love with her. Um, but we have to admit, love is a fickle emotion. And... Uh, We haven't had a perfect marriage. If you have had a perfect marriage, you are welcome uh, to finish this message. But there have been seasons where she has not felt uh, very much in love with me. There have been a few seasons along the way where I haven't felt 100% in love with her. There were only a couple of days where I was really frustrated, but she's been a lot more frustrated with me, I think, than I have with her. But that's the funny thing about love, right? Is that sometimes you can feel like you're in love, and then there are other times you don't feel like you're in love. And so when I taught this at our church, I did a little Facebook poll, highly scientific, and I asked people, how do you know you're in love? And they gave me some really interesting answers. 3% said you get that butterfly feeling in your stomach. All right, I've definitely had that. Some of you have experienced that. Uh, 6% said you ignore the scratch you put on your car. I thought that was a good answer, right? (laughs) And if you're a car guy like me, 
Um, I mean, that really means a lot to you because I care about my car. I have one of those daily car wash passes. Like every day when I'm in town, I'll wash my car. It's just, it's my thing. So if she scratches it and you still like her, well, then you're probably in love. Okay, 8% say you just know. You just know. You just feel that like, mm, I just know that I'm in love. It's just I can't really put it into words. You know, not everything is logical. I just know I'm in love. 51%, number one answer, you want to put the other person's happiness before yours. All right, you want to, and that's a, that's a good answer. 13% said, love describes how I feel about chicken wings, not people. So that's 13%. And isn't that, isn't that what's true about, about love? It's a word that we throw around pretty casually. It's the most important word kind of in our vocabulary. It is supposed to define your relationship with God. It definitely should define your most important relationships in life. But we say things like, man, don't you love the chicken wings at that restaurant? Or, hey, have you seen the new Audi? I mean, it is amazing. I love it. I love my car. I love my house. I love the dock in the morning, you know. I love the Argos. I love the Blue Jays. I love the Leafs, right? We say things like that. And then we look at our wife and go, and I love you too. It's kind of weird. Like, is that, is that actually the same thing? And it's not. And our culture, even though, you know, a tiny fraction of the population is in church in Canada on a day like today, probably 5% or less in the province of Ontario, our culture hasn't given up. Even though they've largely given up on this idea of God or Jesus or the church, they haven't given up on this idea of love. And so every movie you see, every novel you read, all kinds of stories you read about in, you know, on the news, I mean, it talks about this human emotion of love. And so when we're talking about love, what do we mean? Because I know you're like, this isn't a series on love, this is a series on prayer. But the very first thing Paul is going to say to us today, when he writes in the book of Philippians, he's saying, when you pray, here's what I want to have happen. And we could just pretend that we're not in the reality that you and I are in. I want to read you the Scripture I'll tell you, it is very challenging what he has to say. Look at what he says in Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 10. For I want you, I want you when you pray, this is my prayer for you, Paul says, I want you to understand what really matters, what really matters so that you, oh, I went too far. Here we are, verse 9. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. The very first thing he says in this part of the prayer is, I want your love to overflow. And you know what? That day at Osgood Hall, my love, it was, it was probably lust actually, my love was overflowing. Like I felt something for this woman that I hadn't even met. In the early days of a romance, right, your love is overflowing. There are certain people in your life where your love is overflowing. There are certain, your favorite people. You're, maybe you've got a friend that you're like, yeah, we don't just like each other. Like, I love that person. And I mean, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's your kids. You've got people that you just love. And then other times you'll notice it's kind of seasonal. It's like, well, I felt like, and some of you are in that point right now in your marriage. I felt like we were in love two years ago. I felt like we were in love when we got married. You know what? The first three years of our marriage, great. Now, I don't know. <laughs> like, I haven't felt it for a long time. And, and the older you get, the more you live, sometimes the tougher it is to love. Some of you, you loved your job. 
You don't love it so much anymore. There are people at work that drive you bananas. And so we can look at this and say, okay, that's a really nice prayer. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. But like, what does that mean? And I would say that even for me as a pastor, you know, I would say quite naturally, my love does not overflow more and more. That feeling, that sentiment isn't always there. This may come as a shock to you, but occasionally pastors don't even love the church they lead. We get frustrated with it. You're in a tough season, it's hard, and you're like, I don't even want to go to work today, or I don't want to do this anymore, or you don't love your family. Maybe, maybe you loved it when your kid was five but now they're 15, and you're challenged. Or there's tension in your family, and you come back to this, and Paul is like, I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. Okay, the knowledge and understanding part, that's easy. I'll just read my Bible. I'll come to church I'll catch up on the messages I missed. I'll read some good Christian books. I'll I'll take some leadership development courses. Knowledge, understanding, that part's pretty easy. The love to overflow more and more. And if you want to make it worse, Jesus said the defining characteristic of Christians is that you would love each other. And you're like, I don't even know whether I'm a Christian then. You know, in our bathroom mirror in, in our bedroom, the master uh, bathroom, we have this little decal that sits in the left, top left corner of our mirror, and it's just 1 Corinthians 13. We see it every day, every morning when we get up, every night before we go to bed. You know, I see 1 Corinthians 13. And what does it say? Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't boast. It isn't rude. It isn't self-seeking. And when I look back on my day after a day, I'm like, that just doesn't define how I feel a lot of the time, that I can be impatient at home. I can keep a record of wrongs. You know how you know whether you keep a record of wrongs? It's, it's when, and I'm sure you've never had this happen to you, it's when your conversation with the person you care about starts with, you always or you never. I'm sure that's never happened in your life, right? You've kept a record of wrongs. You're not upset about the dishwasher not being emptied this morning. It's just this is the 1,417th morning. You've come to an unemptied dishwasher, and you have hit your limit. Well, you've just kept a record of wrongs. And you read that, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes when I read the Bible, it feels like an indictment. It feels like I'm guilty. I I wasn't patient. I wasn't kind. I got frustrated. Occasionally, I'm rude. I I can be proud. I can be self-seeking. I can keep a record of wrongs. And you know what? We all can. And so what gives? I mean, if, if you're a true Christian, are you just supposed to feel these emotions? And I really, I really started to drill, drill down on that. And I started to ask the question, like, Paul, what are you getting at? God, in the Bible, when it talks about love, what does it mean? Now, he goes on. I'll read the parts I read before. 
He said, for I want you to understand what really matters, what really matters about the Christian faith. You know what it is? Jesus answered that. It's love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Later on in the New Testament, it would go on to say, if you say you love God, but you don't love your neighbor, then you really don't love God. Isn't that like, okay, well, I love God. It's just people I can't stand. No, no, no. Then you really don't love God. I love God. I just don't love her anymore. Oh, then you... I love God. I just really don't love Him anymore. It's just people. It's like, well, Scripture says if you really end up not loving anybody, then you probably don't love God, and you may not even know what love is. So I want you to understand what really matters. What really matters... Galatians, faith expressing itself. How does faith express itself? In love. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. It's love one another. Jesus said, you want me to sum up the whole Old Testament? Here it is. Love God with everything inside you. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Who's my neighbor? Like all the people I like? No, 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 no. Your neighbor, you know that Samaritan guy, the person you don't like, the person who's different from you, the person that you don't think God should even like? Yeah, that's your neighbor. And then he goes on, verse 11, this is all the Scripture we can handle today because it's so convicting. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. May you always be filled. Okay, so this idea is that if God is growing in you, it's going to produce something. What's it going to produce, right? Uh, A banana tree produces bananas, an apple tree produces apples, a fig tree produces figs. So if Christ is in you, it should be overflowing with some of these things. The righteous character which again, the essence of which is love, is love, the righteous character produced by your life, in your life, by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Sometimes a challenge with reading your Bible is it's just so convicting it makes you think, well, what's wrong with me? Why don't I love this well? Why don't, why did I used to feel in love? Why do I not feel in love? Why, why is, why does my love wax and wane? Why, why don't I care like I should care? And some of you, this is the challenge. You know you should, but you can't feel it. Well, our culture has done something really interesting with the word love, and I stumbled on it a number of years ago because that always baffled me too. And then I started noticing the way Jesus handled the word love. And one day I was reading in the Gospel of John, because remember, again, if you, you know, you can pray this prayer, that's great, but I pray your love would overflow more and more. If you're not experiencing love, what's going on? And and Jesus, Jesus has this exchange with his disciples in the Gospel of John, where he says to his disciples, My command to you is this, love one another. Now, I know you've heard that, but what's fascinating is, did you notice what he said? He said, this is a command. And I started to think about that, and I thought, wait a minute, you're commanding a feeling? You're commanding an emotion? You ever try that with your kids? All right. You can't do that to your brothers. You apologize right now, and you mean it. Like, how well does that go? I'm sorry, right? That's what you get. 
That's what you get. It's like, I'm sorry. You're so angry. Like, you don't feel like it. And Jesus, what is he trying to do here? Saying he is commanding love. What, why would you do that? And, and you know what? The reality is, when you start to look at what Jesus meant when he talked about love, when you start to look at how the Bible treats love, it is so different than the way our culture treats love. And you and I have bought the cultural definition of love. You know what the separation is? Love is a decision. Love is a decision. Love is a decision that I'm going to stay married even in the season where right now I'm more frustrated than I feel loving. Love is a decision that I'm going to fight for our relationship, even though we spend a lot of our time fighting with each other right now. Love is a decision that I'm going to, I'm going to actually not give up on people who are different than me, or people I disagree with, or people who bother me. Love is a decision, not an emotion. That love has emotions. Occasionally, you really feel this. You really feel good about it. But love is a decision, not an emotion. And you know what passes for love in our culture? Just by the way we use the word. In Greek, there were four different words for love and the different emotions. In English, we have one, right? It's like love chicken wings, love you. We've already established that. You know what our culture really thinks of as love? Our culture says love is an emotion. Our culture's wrong. What the culture really means is like. Often when our culture says love, what they really mean is like. I like chicken wings. I like this car. I like this house. I like this weather. I like, I like you. But like's an emotion. Like's come and go. What you used to like 10 years ago, you don't like anymore. In fact, you're remodeling your whole house because those colors that were all so awesome 15 years ago look so dated right now. And you're like, I used to like it. I used to like it, right? used to like all this technology, and now it's on the garage sale. And you would pay people to take that giant TV away that weighs 7,000 pounds, wouldn't you? You'll pay people for that. It's like when you got it, it was the best thing ever because it was brand new and it cost you $3,000 and now you would pay somebody to get rid of it because you used to, that's not love, that's like. And you know what? A lot of the time, a lot of the time in our minds, we confuse the two. Like is an emotion, love is a decision. And so if we want to go back to the very beginning of the passage where Paul is saying, he says, my prayer for you is that your love, your decision about each other, Carrie, your decision in your marriage to your wife, it's a decision that you're going to wake up and you're going to surrender that to God and say, okay, right now it's a little fragile. Right now I'm not feeling it. Right now we're going through a hard time, but I need your help. Because I want this love to flow again. And I'm, right now, I'm not feeling the emotion of like. I don't like my job. I don't like her. I don't like him. I don't like my kids. I don't like my parents. I don't like my brother. I don't like this. But I am committed to you, Jesus. And so I'm going to stay committed to them. Do you know what? When you do that, your story starts to parallel God's story. Do you think God likes what we do most of the time? 
Not in the least. Do you think God looks down on the world and says, amazing? I mean, look at the events of this weekend. Look at the events in your home. Look at the church. Look at your heart. It's divided. Do you think God looks down and goes, amazing, every time you lose your temper? No? He says, I made a decision a long time ago before you were born that I was going to love you. And that love cost me something. It cost me my son who came to earth, lived a blameless life. You crucified him. He used that crucifixion to procure your salvation. Your salvation. I decided I was going to stick with you when you decided you were going to run away with me. I decided I was going to forgive you when you didn't even care. I decided that I was going to be faithful to you when you decided you weren't going to be faithful to me. You know what that is? That is love. And you want to see, if you start to read through the Old Testament, you only have to get six chapters in to see right there in black and white that God has got emotions. You know what it says in Genesis 6? It says he was grieved that he created us. It says he was upset. He was like, what was I thinking? Look at these people. But he made a decision. I'm going to love you. He made a decision. I'm going to stick by you. And when you look back on your life, the people who have loved you the most are not the people with the best feelings toward you. They're the people who stuck with you when you didn't stick with them. They're the people who said, I've got your back even if you don't care anymore. Those are the people who said, I believe in you even if you stop believing in yourself. And when they did that, they actually reflected the nature of true love. Because like is an emotion, love is a decision. So what Paul is saying, I want you to decide. You know, some of you were thinking, I don't know how long we're going to stay together. I don't know how long it's going to be until I just look for somebody else. Or maybe some of you have already found somebody else. And love says, no, 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 no. You stick with it. You stick with it. Love says, don't give up when you feel like giving up. Love says, hang in there. Love says, I will pour into you the strength that you need to be able to get through this. And so Paul says, and and the world requires it, work requires it, our society requires it. I pray that your love will overflow more and more. Love springs out of obedience. It's an act of obedience, whether you feel like it or not. Like is an emotion. Love is a decision. For I want you to understand what really matters. And every time Jesus was asked to cut to the chase, every time the Bible tries to sum up, what what is this really all about? What is this really all about? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You know, the only thing that counts, Paul says, is faith expressing itself in love. It's always love, love at the center of it. What really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, right? The goal was not just that you're going to heaven. The goal is that now that you're a Christian, now that you've trusted your life to Jesus, He is going to live in you and He's going to clean house. And that means you're going to be different, 
That means that you're going to define love differently. That means that you're going to hang in on situations where it's more difficult because our culture is a drive-through culture. Our culture is a what's-in-it-for-me culture. Our culture is this isn't working for me anymore. I'm out of here. This church doesn't work. This marriage doesn't work. This job doesn't work. I'm gone. That's our culture. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Why does it bring glory to God? Because people are going to ask you, how did you make it? You'll be like, I didn't have the strength. But God gave us the strength. You know what passes for love in our culture isn't love. Think about the way sex is portrayed in movies by Hollywood, right? Almost every scene you see where a couple wants to go to bed together is between two people who are not married, And the reaction, if two married people go to bed, is like, gross, ugh, we don't want to see that. It's completely twisted from God's design. What passes for love in our culture isn't love, it's an emotion. It's an emotion, and we're yearning for it. There's actually chemicals involved. Dr. Helen Fisher has her PhD from Rutgers University, and she says there's three distinct phases to love, which is really interesting. So, if you've ever fallen in love, most of you have at some point or another. She says the immediate physiological reaction you have is one of lust. It's just the chemicals, estrogen, testosterone, start to fire in your brain, and all of a sudden, you, you are just attracted to this person for like, you don't know why or you don't know how, but there's something that's just firing in you. And the chemicals involved in that are testosterone and estrogen. Then it moves from lust, because that, that doesn't last very long, to what she calls attraction. All right, I got 27% in high school chemistry, so I'm going to use my notes here. All right, I want to be somewhat accurate. I did a lot better in Bible school, if you were wondering. So, um, attraction involves adrenaline, adrenaline, all right? So, that's the thing you feel after, you, you know, you get the runner's high if you're running a, a marathon or you're a cyclist like I am, you know, after about 20 kilometers, the endorphins kick in and the adrenaline kicks in and it gets you going. So, adrenaline actually fires in your brain. They've studied these things. And then um, you also get a dopamine like this dopamine rush that like, oh, wow, this is beyond like, I think you like me, there's a spark. And you feel that, right? And what happens in your marriage, if you're not careful, is you'll stop feeling that for the person that you're actually committed to. And if you let yourself, you'll start feeling it for other people. Big mistake. So it starts with lust. It moves to attraction. The third phase is what she calls attachment. And that's where there's oxytocin not oxycontin. That's different, okay? Oxytocin. This hormone is called the cuddling hormone. Uh, This is what females uh, love. It's also present in men, but if men get too much, they fall asleep, apparently, which you know about. Um, Estrogen, vasopressin, and there's a limbic resonance that happens. This resonates through your body, right? These are the three phases in love. Then she did something really interesting of attraction. She said, you know what? You can create all three of these emotions in 30 minutes with a perfect stranger. Did you know that? Here's what you do. You sit down across the table from a perfect stranger. I mean, try this after church. See if it works, all right? (laughs) You sit down across the table from a perfect stranger. You look directly into their eyes. And for 30 minutes, you share details, like intimate details about your life. 
You know, that time you got kicked out of school when you were a kid, or you got bullied, or, you know, your parents broke up and it broke your heart, or the first time you were in love, or your favorite vacation. Like, you're, it's not just, oh, where do you live or what do you do? You're sharing details of your life for 30 minutes, and then here's what you do. Stare deeply into each other's eyes without talking for four minutes. She says, at the end of of that half hour, you will be head over heels in love with that person. Because you just tripped all the circuits, all the chemical circuits in your brain. Now, if you're having marriage problems, you should try that at lunch. All right? Just try that. It's like, all right, what did he say again? Look in each other's eyes, intimate details, stare for 40 minutes. You're second honeymoon. It's great, you know? Don't even come back to church next weekend. Go to Cuba or something like that. So, you know, you can do that. You can do that. You can fall in love. But you can do this with a perfect stranger. The problem is it doesn't last. And what our culture is looking for is that chemical firing, that high. What our culture is looking for is like, I want to feel that way every day when I get up. That's not what love is. That's an emotion, not a decision. Now, it's interesting, and my wife, she's serving at our church today. She was here last time uh, we were here, and, and I got an opportunity to preach. She and I would both tell you that what happens is if you get through the bad times, eventually your emotions catch up to your obedience. And if you obey, and some of you know this, the way Jesus encourages you to obey, your heart opens up again, and you feel that attraction, and you feel it when she walks in the room, and when you see her, and when you pull out your phone, and it's her name on call display, it's she that texted you, then your heart starts to race again. Eventually, and this is hope for those of you who are in relationships where it's a tough season right now, your emotions will catch up to your obedience. And those emotions will come back. Jesus is doing something so much more radical than our culture. Because when Paul, we could easily just say, okay, so pray that your love overflows more and more. And you go home and you're like, you blow up because the house is a mess, or your teenager didn't do what your teenager was supposed to do, or your spouse disappointed you, and church is forgotten, and you read your Bible, you know, in the morning or at night before you went to bed, but you don't know how to apply it, and you read that, and eventually it's just indicting. It's like, I don't love, and you don't even want to say it out loud because you don't think you can talk like that in church. Like is an emotion. Love is a decision. So, who do you need to decide to love? Who is it? And maybe it's the person you're married to or the person you were married to. Maybe it's the person you're going to marry and you're like, I'm not really sure. Maybe it's somebody in your family because you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's a sibling. 
Maybe it's that guy at work that drives you and everybody else crazy because the defining characteristic of your life, if you follow Jesus, should be love. Maybe it's somebody who doesn't look like you or have the same origin as you because you feel, you know, racism is something that divides every heart. Sin is something that divides every heart. Maybe it's somebody who's just different than you or doesn't make as much money as you or doesn't have the education or the pedigree that you have. Maybe it's that. Who do you need to love? Who specifically brings someone to mind that you don't like? And then decide this week to love them. Who do you not like? Maybe they're sitting next to you. Avoid eye contact if that's the case, all right? Pray, God, This is an obedience thing. Are you going to have the strength to do this? Absolutely not. You don't. You don't have the strength to do this. You're going to do what everybody else who doesn't have faith in a situation like that does. You're going to walk away. Or you're going to be even worse than hating them. You're going to be indifferent. I think the opposite of love is indifference. It's like, I don't even care anymore. I've closed my heart. Well, guess what? God hasn't closed his heart to you. He hasn't when you closed his heart to him. So who is it? Who is it that you need to love? And you may not feel anything but negative emotions for that person right now. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus taught on that too, right? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. It's not an emotion. It's a decision. Like is an emotion. He didn't say like your enemies. He said love them. That's way harder. Love your enemies. You know, when the world looks in on the church, you know what the world should see? It should see people who love each other like nobody else. It should see a a church that looks out in the world and doesn't condemn or criticize, but loves the world. Because Jesus did, for God so loved the world. When you go to work tomorrow... You should be known by how you love people who are different and difficult. You should be known in your family as people who love through the hard times, when your kids are not doing what you want them to do, when your spouse is frustrating you, when you think the love is dead. That is the moment where God says, ah, we're just beginning. And I can work through you and I can work in you and I can give you power that you don't have yourself. So who is it that you need to love today. Because like is an emotion, but love, love's a decision. Let's pray together. Father, I just know that this falls really heavy on a lot of us right now. And for probably more people than we want to admit, the person is right next to us. And the love just doesn't feel real anymore. It's someone we can't escape. Maybe it's a child, a parent, a sibling. I just pray for families where love is not something felt right now. And thank you, God, that your definition of love is not an emotion, but a decision. 
And thank you that eventually our emotions catch up to our obedience, but help us just to obey and to love with the love of God poured into our lives the people that we don't like. So speak to us. God, in the workplace tomorrow, will you move powerfully? Will you just help us to love the people that nobody else loves? The guy who grates on our nerves. The neighbor that everyone complains about. May we love radically because we have been loved radically. When we were your enemies, you died for us. May that kind of love sprung from obedience flow through our lives this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.